We're starting this morning a series uh, talking about uh, living as members of the body of Christ. This will be our series that will carry us throughout the fall. And so in this series, we're talking about belonging to one another. We're talking about our relationships with one another. We're talking about things like um, commitment to each other and responsibility to each other and belonging and, and relationships that are, that are real and genuine and committed. Now, as we talk about all of those kind of concepts, the important thing to see is how hard it is for us to connect with the importance of all of these things in light of the culture that we live in. We live in a very individualistic culture. Maybe this is a news flash for you. In our culture, the importance of the individual is the main thing. The message from our culture is the most important thing in life is to maximize your personal happiness, right? And so in order to do that, you need lots of choices. In fact, uh, one of the main ways that our culture says you maximize your personal happiness is through consuming things. It's called consumerism. So the way that we tend to think about life is that, that I need to get things, I need to experience things, I need to have things in order to maximize my personal happiness. And one of the things that you see a lot of in a culture that's individualistic, about the individual, one of the things you see is that options, you have all kinds of options. You see, here's what options tend to do to you. They, they paralyze you. Because you see, if you commit to something, you're leaving on the table all kinds of other options. You ever experience this? You ever go to the grocery store? Whenever I get sent to the grocery store, I'm like lost. You'll see me in there, I'm like, okay, I came, yesterday I went to go get spaghetti sauce. Ashley sent me to the store. And I'm sitting there, and it's like a whole wall filled with spaghetti sauce of every kind. I mean, you can, you can get just about anything in spaghetti sauce, like even possum and stuff. So I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at all of this spaghetti. I don't know where that came from. I'm, I'm looking at all the spaghetti sauce, and I'm paralyzed. Because what if I get this and it doesn't have this in there? And what if I get this? You can't commit. You can't go in and just grab it and go. See, that is the experience of living in this culture. Commitment is a terribly hard thing to do. Limiting yourself, locking yourself into something is incredibly painful because in order to do that, you are limiting all your other options. In our culture, it's all about the individual. It's all about having all of your options open. It's, it's all about privacy, individual rights. You ever go to the doctor and you have to fill out about a hundred pages and what are they all about? If Just to see a doctor, what are they all about? Privacy. All of the papers that you're filling out, you're promising you're not going to sue them if they leave you a message and somebody else hears it. Why are we so pri preoccupied with privacy in our culture? Because we live in an individualistic culture. And the most important thing are my rights, my options. Think about our favorite toys. What are all of our favorite toys called? iPhone, right? iPad, iMac. What is it all about? I is all about my control and my options. And you, you begin to see as you look at culture in this way, and sometimes it's hard to recognize culture because it's always all around you and messages are always coming at you. It's kind of like a, a fish trying to recognize water. See, a fish can't recognize what water is because it's 
always in water. Well, the same is true about being immersed in a culture. So it's hard to begin to notice these things. But just think about the reality of the way that we do relationships now in our culture. So we were made for relationships. So you can never entirely get away from it. We have an urge to be connected to other people. But just think about the reality of social media. Think about Facebook, for instance. So with Facebook, the whole idea of social media is to be connected to other people. But think about what actually happens with Facebook. It's a false kind of community. Now, I don't, I don't mean to say that Facebook is all evil. But if you think about why is it so wildly popular? Why is it completely taken our culture by storm? Why is that? Well, if you think about it in Facebook, I'm allowed to have some sense of being connected to other people, but yet I'm in control of that. I, I'm always filtering the message, right? I'm, I'm always showing just one aspect of myself. You know, I'm in control of my image. I'm managing my image. I'm managing my profile. And so as you go to Facebook and you're looking at everyone, it feels like community because you're seeing their lives and you're communicating, but yet it's only a part of their life. It's just the highlight reel. So everybody is looking at everybody else's highlight reels and comparing yourself to everybody else's highlight reels. But what is it not? It's not real community. Because real community is actually knowing all about one person. Not just the highlights, but all of the ordinary realities of their life. All the broken parts of their life. You see, these are the part of the challenges that we face as we start to talk about being a community, committing to one another, being a part of one another's lives, all the momentum of our culture and even of our hearts is against it. So it's very challenging as we come to this, this reality. Well, as we come and we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, the, the church in Corinth that this letter was written to, written to also struggled a great deal with division. They were, they were divided. They were fighting back and forth among one another. They were, uh, everybody wanted to use their gifts just to show off to one another. It was all kinds of fighting, all kinds of division among them. And one of the huge concerns of the book is about their relationships with one another. As we come to this passage, Paul really hones in and uses this metaphor of the body to communicate the reality of what we are called to be, what our relationships are to be like with one another. And there's basically two realities that he's communicating by this metaphor. One is that in the church, we are to be one. We're to be unified. But yet, there is a diversity in our unity. We're all different. Everyone has a different part to play. That's the argument that he's making here. The body is a unit. It is one. It is we're all connected to one another, just like a human body. Even though it is made up of many parts, its parts are many, but they form one body. It's this unity and diversity. He goes through the passage and he begins to play this out. And he begins to say, what if the eye were to say to the body, I don't need you? What if the hand were to say to the ear, I don't need you? Right? It wouldn't, for that sense, cease to be part of the body. It's totally needed. No one part of the body can perform all of the functions. Just like we were mentioning at the very beginning. If you lose one of those parts of the body, the whole body suffers. And each part has a place. It has a part. It has an importance. 
The whole rest of the body is dependent upon that part to play its part. So there's an equal importance in the body of Christ. Everyone has a function. And those, those parts, those functions that seem to be less important, that seem to be less flashy or less up front, he says we treat with special modesty, with special importance. The same is true with our body. Certain parts of our body tend to get all the press, right? Like our face or mouth. That's what we blow hot air with. It's what we make noise with. You get a lot more attention with your mouth than you do your big toe, your foot, your knee. But the reality is, is that they're all equally important. You see, in the body of Christ, everyone is a part. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has been given a gift. But they're all different. It's part of that diversity aspect. Each one of our gifts are different. And the degree to which we've uniquely been made to play that part, that too is different. Everyone has a part to play. Some are like up front all the time, right? Some are not. Some don't speak very much at all. But yet the point is they're all dispensable. They must be one. It is only as they are one and playing their part that the body functions as it's supposed to. One of the things to notice here in the passage is that, you know, in the NIV we see he's using this word over and over and over that he's talking about the parts of the body. But actually in the Greek, the word that he uses is members. He uses the word for member here in this passage 13 times. I mean, that's, that's almost once per verse. You know, what's he trying to communicate here? To use the word for member that we are all members, where we see parts... He's actually saying, you are members. It means that we are to belong to one another. Each is a member. But look at verse 13. Something very interesting to see here. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Now, that's an interesting thing to see there, right? We were all baptized. So, baptism is the sign of entering into union with Jesus. And the way that we tend to think about baptism is just an individual thing, right? Baptism is something that I do to symbolize my commitment to follow Jesus. That's how we so much tend to think about the reality of baptism. But what Paul is saying here is that whenever we were baptized, we were baptized into the body. That's remarkable. That's not how we often tend to think of it. We tend to think of the church not as something that we are made to be a part of, but rather somewhere where we go to get something. Kind of back to that consumeristic mindset. We tend to think of the church as kind of like a grocery store. So I come there in order to get something, in order to shop. You know, I need something. I need encouragement or I need to hear God's words. I need to be lifted in some way. And so I go there in order to get that. But I don't go there and like, belong there and commit myself. I don't go there to give something. Kind of like in a gas station. I don't belong to any particular gas station here. I know some people think that you should, but usually whenever I'm getting gas, you know what I think about? What is the price? I'm sorry. I should probably change and have loyalty to some of the locals here. But whenever I'm looking for gas, I just say, who's the cheapest? And I'll go there and fill it up and then I'm out. I don't go and hang out in the gas station. I don't know if you do. Maybe you do. Maybe you like their coffee or something. But you see, the mindset there is consumeristic. 
I go because there's something there I need, and then I leave. So often, that's the way that we think about the church. They have something I need there. I need to go, and I need to hear some things about God. I need to be encouraged, but then I leave. I'm there in order to get something. Do you see how much different what Paul is talking about is than that? He says, whenever you are united to Jesus, you at the same time are united to his people. To be baptized is not just to come into Jesus, it is to come into his body. When I'm connected to him, I'm connected to his people. There's a drastic difference from what we most often understand. And notice what he says about that in verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, this sense of oneness, unity there, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. So he points out there this radical division in the world. He, he mentions racial diversity, for Jew and Greek was the greatest racial diversity that there possibly was. And then he mentions socioeconomic diversity, uh, slave or free. So to put it in our own terms here, it would be something like black or white, okay, or rich or poor. You see, what he's saying there is that in the world, differences and diversity creates division. But here is what is unique about the body of Christ. Though that diversity continues, whenever you come into the church, you don't cease to be your race or your socioeconomic level or what class you're a part of or what family you're from. You maintain that identity. We're all different. We don't all become the same, but yet you become one in the midst of our diversity. And that is what is unique about the church. Everywhere else in the world, the only thing that brings you together is being the same. That's what we do. In the world, it's very common. People can have unity together in the world, but it's always because they're the same. It is your sameness that creates the unity. And yet your diversity creates division. But what puts the truth of the gospel on display is unity in the midst of our diversity. It's what Jesus said in John 17 will show the world that God has truly sent him into the world. It is our unity together in the midst of our diversity. See, in the world, you can only have unity if you have uniformity. In the church alone can you have unity in all of our diversity. And you see, that's what is at stake in our unity together. Showing to the world the power of the gospel to bring different people together and to make them one together. So Paul sums it up in verse 25. This is what God intends for his people, so that there should be no division in the body and that its parts should have equal concern for one another. That's what he's calling us to here. Imagine to be a part of that kind of community. Imagine to be a part of a community where we were one with one another, and yet every single person had equal concern for one another. It's a high calling. It's a beautiful calling to imagine being a part of a community that had that kind of love and that kind of oneness among one another. But here's the reality. That's incredibly hard. And the church has not traditionally done a very good job about this. One of the most glaring failures of the church in America 
at this kind of unity was during the civil rights movement in our country. You know, during the civil rights country, and really what's marked the history of our, of our country has been a division, a division over race, a, a segregation, a separating. And at the very heart of that is the belief that difference means that you're better, that you are better than another person because of you are from a different culture. And that fundamental reality has lived in the heart of our culture since its inception. And during the civil rights movement, that was being challenged. And the church had a tremendous opportunity to oppose the evil of our culture. A tremendous opportunity to say into a culture that said, if you're different, you must be separate. The church had the opportunity to come in and say, no, no, no. In the world it works that way, but not with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings us together as one. And that transcends all barriers in the world. It was a tremendous opportunity. And the church, by and large, failed. Failed. And became a part of the lie that had been at the fabric of our culture. Our denomination is in the midst of a year of repentance over not only our, uh, not, only our not being involved in the civil rights movement, but actually perpetrating segregation. And so it's very important that we begin to own that as a church because we cannot heal unless we first begin with where have we failed in these respects. You see, the truth and the power of the gospel is displayed as it brings us together as one. But it's not just in our history that the church has failed to be what we're called to be. It's even today. One of the biggest barriers I find as I talk to people who are not in the church and who don't follow Jesus, one of the biggest barriers I run into is not Jesus. Their objection is not to Jesus, but rather to his people, to the church. And a lot of times the reason for that is they've experienced such evil, such meanness, such self-righteousness, seeing in the church people doing things to one another that people in the world will never think about doing. Some of us in here have even experienced that in the church. You've been a part of a church in which you have seen people be so mean to each other, to be, so, to be the very opposite of what we're called to be. And some people have walked away for that very reason. And some of us don't go that far, but we come to the conclusion of saying, you know, I like Jesus, but not his church. I'll take Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. You know, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to leave his church over here. I don't need his church. Do you see what Paul is saying in this passage? You can't have one without the other. It's a package deal. You cannot have Jesus apart from his church. If you think you have Jesus apart from his church, that's not the real Jesus. He never taught that. He never lived that. And never does the New Testament teach that. When we get Jesus, you get his church with all the warts. So the question, I think, for us as a church is how do we get this unity? I mean, we obviously have this diversity. We're all different. You know, we, it's not that hard to be close and tight and unified with people who are like you, with our best friends. You know, the reality is we choose our friends. Jesus chooses the church. We don't get to pick. We don't get to pick. Oh, it'd be nice for me to say, I'm just going to have a church. It's just going to be my best friends. And so we'll all be Georgia fans. 
you know, we'll all be Southerners, we'll all be white, we'll all act the same way and like the same things. And you know what? If we tried to do that, we could have some real unity. And the world might look at it and say, oh, look at how much they love each other. But you see, it wouldn't be real. And there would be no power of the gospel in order to do that. So Jesus picks the church. And so we're all different. I know that we don't all naturally click together. That's the point. It is only as the power of the gospel brings us together that Jesus gets put on display to the world. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we be that kind of unified body, that kind of church that he's called us to be? And here's the answer, the gospel. It's actually the answer I give you every single week. At our church, we are convinced more than anything of this one thing. The gospel is not just how you begin the Christian life. It's not just the basic information you got to know in order to get saved, to get in. It's actually how we grow. It is only through a constant process of rediscovering the truth of the gospel, of repenting from all of the lies that we tend to believe and re-embracing the truth of Jesus, resting completely in His finished work, is only as that becomes a daily reality that we are changed. It's the only way. And so how does the gospel speak toward disunity? Well, it really uproots and cuts out at the very core what tends to be one of the biggest barriers to our unity, and that is our independence. Our independence. This sense that I can make it on my own. This sense that I have everything that I need, that, that I can be good enough in and of myself. Really what is at the heart of our individualism is the lie of independence. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need anyone else. I can be good enough. I can make it on my own. I can get there. Through my hard work, through my determination, I can get accepted by God. I can find fulfillment and find happiness through my independence. Now, you've got to understand, we live in the independent state of Dade. Right? It's deep in our DNA. It's on our symbol. Right? If, you, if you meet a police officer from Trenton, next, this is a little test here. Next time you run in, hopefully you're not, you've, you're not about to go to jail, but next time you are talking with a police officer, look at their little badge there. You know what it says? It does not say Trenton. It says the independent state of Dade. Kind of a shocker. This sense of independence runs all the way down to our bones. And so we tend to think, as long as I'm responsible... As long as I work hard, as long as I'm a good person, it'll all work out in the end. I'll go to heaven. God is so pleased with me. You see, that's the greatest danger about our independence, is it can look so religious. You see, you can be incredibly devout. You, you can uh, love and serve other people. You can give your life away. You can pray all the time. You can read all the, your Bible all the time. And on the outside, it looks so religious and so real, but on the inside, it is all from a motivation of trying to make yourself acceptable before God. It's in the words of Flannery O'Connor, all of it is an avoiding of sin so that we can avoid Jesus. See how easy we do that? That our religiousness can simply be a way of making ourselves acceptable before God. But you see, the gospel comes to us, and it says, this can never happen. The gospel comes to us and says you are far worse than you even know. 
you are far more broken. You can never be good enough. You can never uh, earn your way into God. You can never, through what you do, through who you are, make yourself acceptable before God because you're impossibly far. Now, we don't naturally think that. And the reason is is because we compare ourselves to one another. When you do that, well, I don't look that bad. But when you compare yourself to God, that's when you begin to see, I'm shot. I'm in trouble. I need rescue. That is the gospel. The gospel is not a hand up. Jesus doesn't come and say, hey, I see you're doing a great job there. You're almost there. If you try a little bit harder, let me give you a little boost up here. Just to get over that hump. Not the gospel. The gospel is we are down in a bottomless pit and Jesus comes right down in there and picks you up and brings you out and brings you to the Father. The gospel is that Jesus came and was good enough for you. He was obedient enough for you. He perfectly fulfilled the law in our place. And on the cross bore all of God's wrath for our sin. He accomplished it. And the only way for that to become true of you is for you to give up your independence. For you to come to a place where you cry uncle. You know what it means to cry uncle, right? We don't like to cry uncle. You can twist our arm, you can take everything we got, and I'm going to do it. But you see, you can never get to God that way. You've got to surrender. You've got to give up. It's the only way. It's, it's, a, it's a releasing any claim you have to your own goodness. It's a releasing of independence, and you say, I am completely and totally dependent upon your mercy alone. And that is when you find the freedom of surrender to Jesus. And as you begin to be secure in His love, you see, you can only be secure, you can only have assurance through surrender to Him. Because otherwise, you're never quite sure if you're good enough. You're never quite sure if you're making it. But when you entirely depend upon the work of another, you can have assurance. And it is only as you become assured of His love, as you find security in the gospel, that you can begin to acknowledge, I need Him daily. Independence is an illusion. I need His grace. And I need other people. You begin to see that the people that God has brought into our life are His means of bringing us to Himself, of helping us to see what we cannot see together. The gospel creates and drives our unity. So, let me get just real practical and suggest two practical ways for us to practice this a grace community. And I've already mentioned it today. The first is community groups. So we can kind of understand the gospel in our head and we can say, hey, I get that. That's awesome. We're supposed to be a body together. I'm excited about that. And yet do nothing about it. And therefore, it's useless until we actually apply it to our lives. So what is one way that we apply it to our life? Community groups are an avenue at Grace Community to actually experience unity, to pursue it, to get down into the hard work of it. For whenever you come into a community group, you acknowledge two things. One, I need you. This whole idea is I come in here because I cannot do it on my own. I cannot even know Jesus as I'm called on my own. I need you. I need the people in this group. 
but yet also you need me. I have something to offer you. And so community groups are a setting where you come in and you offer your life to other people and you open your life to them, where we will attempt as a church to walk in community together. That's how you become a body, not just in theory. And we're not made a body of some generic universal body of Christ. You can't live any of this out being a part of the universal body of Christ. It's an actual body. And a community group is a tremendous way to experience that. And then secondly, here's another way. Membership. Membership is a great way to do something that is absolutely countercultural. Our culture says, don't commit. Don't submit. Authority is bad. Don't attach yourself there. Keep your options open. Just stay on the periphery. You might need to bail at some point. Don't get in too deep. It gets messy if you've got to get out. That's what the world tells us all the time. You know what's countercultural? If you say, you know what? Jesus has got me. So I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to promise myself to you. I'm going to submit myself. What an un-American concept to submit ourselves. I need you in my life. Membership is a way to put flesh on that. And it's very countercultural. Warning. Everything in you and around you will say, do not do that. But Jesus says, come on in. Submitting to me and submitting to one another.